All right, it's week one. Can't believe it's already September 7th. Season's about to kick off tomorrow. And so we're about to go through the slate, talk about every single game, and provide our insights. Let's start off with the Bills at the Rams. Super Bowl champs, underdogs at home versus the consensus number one team to win the Super Bowl in 2022. I'm decisively on the Rams side. I was asking you, Judah, yesterday, have you seen a three pop up yet? And I saw someone post on Twitter earlier today that a three did pop up. How do you guys feel about this? I was on Buffalo for a while. And I, as I did more research about both teams and the situation, I started to actually think, wait a second, I mean, the Rams are not really getting much respect because of the assumption of the Super Bowl hangover and all that other stuff, but it's still Sean McVay. They're still very well coached. They still have Matthew Stafford. And the way I'm looking at it is, Buffalo, to your point, is the most overhyped team coming into this season. Everyone's assuming they're going to win the Super Bowl, including me. I have some futures on them. So to check my own bias, I actually think this is a great spot for the Rams. Donald's going to be great. Ramsey will take digs out of the game. So Gabriel Davis is going to have to step up. And I don't know, like, and without Dabble, they're probably going to run the ball more. So they're not going to be as explosive on offense in this game. I think you're going to see more runs up the middle and early downs. And the explosive Bills putting up 35 points may not actually even happen. And so if that doesn't happen, you're looking at a 24-27 type game. And if it's close like that, Rams, if you can get plus three, seems like at worst you're going to get a push. And also, just as a disclaimer to our audience, when you're listening to Zach, he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> but no, how I think Judah and I can heed your advice and insights and views over the course of the season is one, you're not gonna be as granular and as detailed and watching every single game like you used to in the past seasons. I think we were joking offline that you're the anti-Sharp Clark. You don't watch any snaps. And so when you provide your narratives, I think Judah and I will have to balance between, it's either gonna be like this like super square, just like market consensus view yeah. or this broader kind of macro insight that's not getting distracted by the week-to-week -week bullshit. As Judah and I have been going through each of our division preseason previews, that's been one of our huge takeaways is don't get caught in the weeds on the week-by-week -week volatility because it can be super distracting. It can actually deter you from the signal. And so I think you can definitely help there, Zach. But one-for-one, one, super square take. <laughs> I think you definitely nailed like hey. what the market general consensus view is uh, of that game. What do you think, Judah? Yeah, I like the Bills a lot, actually. I think just going back to kind like of the Bills a lot. I like the Bills a lot. I'm going to bet their alternate line having decided between five and a half or six. That's different. That's different, though. Yeah, I like the Bills at current spread, and I like it even more at the old line. But I think even going back, I was really selling the Rams this offseason, and I think all of the reasons why we were selling the Rams, which is the fragility of the team, the injuries, the depth is actually already starting to show. Right, they're trotting out Ben Skoranek and Tutu Atwell as their wide receiver three. We talked about the ceiling outcomes. They're being priced in for their ceiling price, which is coming off the Super Bowl. And I think probably they were like the ninth or 10th best team last year. And conversely, the Bills represent the opposite, which is the best team in the league. And while the market's probably pricing that in already, there's such a huge gap, I think, between what's probably fundamentally the best team in the league and like the 10th best team. And I don't see why I should go off that view. 
to start in week one. So maybe I did have a square take to start. Because I feel like you have to start with the square All right, take. Now you're going to get sharper. Yeah. No, but seriously, like, I think nice. it's, it's actually good to have the framing of what is everyone thinking? Because then you can go, okay, is that enough? One thing I would say is I agree with Judah fundamentally on the season. That's why I have like futures on Bills. I don't think this game is going to determine how I see the Bills the rest of the season, even if they lay an egg here. And that's part of the reason why I reframed this game around, are we sure the Bills are going to come out of the gate like they ended last season? And that's well, where about my how they started yeah. last season. Sorry, or how they started. How did they start last season? I can't they remember. They lost now. to the Steelers. There you go. So again, I'm not sure we know yet the dabble effect. And the reason I say that is because part of the reason, as I understand it, he left was because of the dissension with between him and the head coach, Sean McDermott. Does that, again, does that change the offensive philosophy? Their offense has been stellar for two straight years. So if you mess with that because your coach wants to play a little more running game and that kind of stuff. And so I don't know, but just to me, there's some red flags of like early season potential hiccups that we just don't know yet. And so I wouldn't be comfortable assuming that the Bills are ready to run. So. That's almost the key, the key point, I think, is that they went in-house with their offensive coordinator, which I think suggests True. that they're actually doing more of the same. I don't really buy any of the Bills are going to run more that narrative at all. Gabe Davis has done nothing except ball in the time that he's been a wide receiver. And it's not like he's, the secondary yeah. receivers for the Bills were very good last year. It was like washed up Cole Beasley on reps. I think Gabe Davis is an upgrade over anything they had. Also, as to your point about Jalen Ramsey, I think right the Rams are going to play a ton of zone which kind of diminishes the value of having a really good cornerback. And the Bills are also extremely deep, which means they're going to find holes in the zone consistently. And I trust Josh Allen. I trust the offensive staff to run the exact same game plan. They know that if they play the same way they did last year, roll it over again, they're probably going to be favorites. And that's why everyone's giving them the respect. And that's where I think there could be edge. This is one of the things that we talked about on the preseason preview was we flirted with the idea of, well, is losing Daymall, does it open the door for... McDermott to potentially run more because he had made some comments here and there last season when they lost some important games that they needed to run the ball more. And now with Dable out of the picture, does that empower him even more? And I think we dismissed that. We thought that wasn't going to be the case was the conclusion. And yeah, because they have the continuity factor of he was the quarterback's coach and now he's the OC. And so if you really wanted to change philosophy, and first of all, why would you after the explosive offense that you just had last year? That wasn't the reason why you didn't continue on. And it was more like because you didn't win a coin flip is really why. I think Judah's convinced me you have to get Rams at three if you can get it. If you're into like some kind of teaser or something, I know he's on, on the alt line. Or look for a Bills at a better spot, maybe in game even. Just because to your point, the continuity is on the Bills side. The continuity is not on the Rams side because they had some changeover. It's back to Cooper Cup. Now they have to integrate Allen Robinson. They don't really have a third receiver option. And with the elbow issue, again, like we don't really know what that means, now, especially with quarterbacks. Like some of the, sometimes you can't predict what those things will actually do. We know what we're gonna get from the Bills more or less. You've convinced me of that. With the Rams, there's more variables that can be present downside to, to how they play, especially in this first game. I'd even to highlight one of the matchups I'm really watching, Joseph Nopum, the new left tackle who filled in admirably in a very small sample last year, is going to be going up against Von Miller, which is a obviously noted difference considering that Von Miller was playing for LA last year. If Joseph Nopoon gets dominated by Von Miller, the game's over. And if Matthew Stafford's under pressure and getting sacked, the Bills have a massive edge. Right. What about the Bills' offensive line? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Josh Allen mitigates the 
offensive line. Right, unless it is absolutely so dreadful, Chiefs Super Bowl against the Bucks level, which it's not going to be, then the offensive line is bad. Josh Allen's going to mitigate the pressure. We, we spoke about this in the AFC West stream, which is at a certain level of quarterback where they determine the pressure rates on the offensive line. It's one of the added bonuses of having a Mahomes, a, an Allen, a Herbert, which is that they're just as good under pressure, not under pressure. And if you guys remember, go back to when the Bills played the Rams two years ago, Josh Allen ate through the Rams and Aaron Donald. And even when the Rams got pressure, he literally would just find a way to get away. Bills were up like 20 points and the Rams came all the way back and then it came down to last possession. But that was a great example of Josh Allen just doing, he ended up being able to do whatever he wanted against that Rams defense. So that could be a good comp as like a Bills upside offensively, especially. I'm not convinced yet. I'm not convinced on the alt line. I still, I guess to- but See, I, I could see the value in the alt line in the sense that if either team is going to blow out a team, yeah, I can Bills. see the Bills blowing out the Rams. I do agree with that. Uh, I think, to your point, it's the volatility's on either Rams play a tight game and squeeze it out, Bills squeeze it out, or Bills dominate. I also just, as a general point, when you have a very high total, the points also just don't matter as less. Yeah. Don't matter as much. That's a good point. Good point, Judah. Yeah, this one's He's super tough. And also, I think I'm certainly not convinced of the bill side anyway i cast doubt because i was definitely leaning rams for sure especially if it got to three i don't really care that they're at home because they don't really have a great home field advantage the distance is mitigated because it's week one everyone's fresh i feel like i want to give the head coaching advantage to make but i don't know about Allen robinson how the chemistry is necessarily going to work right off the bat the more i think about it i think i agree with judah fundamentally the rams the, the whole reason for the super bowl hangover effect what's really happening psychologically in my opinion is it's hard to be innovative the next year after you won the Super Bowl. Like, it's hard to see the errors of your ways and to improve. Whereas the Bills, they know they could have done it. Like they're going to give everything they can to this year because they know they're right on the cusp. You're the Super Bowl champs. You're kicking off the season at home. And you're underdogs. So it seems like... They should be. These teams are fundamentally in different tiers and also yes most often the super bowl champ doesn't go up against the almost consensus number one powering team with good reason let's be honest the rams probably also, bills lost the super bowl so bills starting rookie corner too it helps it helps to have the safety duo of, for sure yeah. but again but who's going to take advantage of that with the rams it's like we saw in the super bowl even it's going to be the cooper cup Allen robinson show and we don't know how Robinson's going to meld with Stafford yet. And again, the big thing is the Stafford issue. If he's at all uncomfortable, that, that could be an issue. And the Rams have a history of hiding people's injuries, obviously, with Todd Gurley. So, yeah. like, they, if it's, even if it's mild... Yeah, I don't trust him with the whole elbow thing. No way. No. Like, you don't know how good or bad it is. I could see this game actually being, like, one of those bell curves where you have all the geniuses on the Bills. And then all the people with like bastion skulls and snot dripping out of their nose also on the bills. And then there's a lot of people in between the square sharp people on the Rams, just because they're at home, they won the Super Bowl. They're almost a plus field goal. That's just like square sharp 101. Like you, you gotta bet that. And they don't, there's no nuance, kind of the stuff that you flushed out, Judah. Not afraid to bet a team on the road versus Super Bowl champions as a favorite. <laughs> no fear. That Easy. sounds like Edge, actually. The bet is in. 
that is it. That is it. But you, I think you've sufficiently taken me off the Rams, which is in itself. Yeah. Meaning Ravens at the Jets. Joe Flacco. Jets plus seven at home. Trending towards seven and a half. Lamar Jackson creating stir with the whole contract stuff. Saying that, what, he's given the team a Friday deadline to negotiate the contract on the eve of week one. Seems like stupid noise to create. And if it doesn't get done, if you're not locked up into a long-term contract and you're playing in a vulnerable position at quarterback, relying on your athleticism, why then, I'm not saying he is a quiet quitter on the field, but why take unnecessary risks if you haven't gotten paid yet? You can make the exact same argument, the opposite side, which is you haven't gotten paid yet. If I have another MVP year, I'm going to get really paid. The example that comes to mind, it's not football. Aaron Judge had the exact same scenario happen earlier this season where he set a deadline. It's very common for players to say, I'm not negotiating a contract for the season because I want to just focus on the season. First of all, Aaron Judge is risk profile is not the same as Lamar Jackson in the pocket. One hit could ruin Lamar Jackson's career. Tens of millions of dollars, poof, gone. So what's the downside of him getting meaningfully injured versus another MVP season? How much more money could he possibly make what he's already demonstrated? The upside is marginal. The downside is massive. He's got way more to lose. It's not like the Ravens are saying, no, we need to see more. There's yeah. something else going on there. Lamar Jackson, I don't think, is taking calculated risks on every play, saying, ooh, I should take this hit, I should not take this hit. He only knows one way to play football, and that's 110%. He's going to take the same number of hits regardless of what calculations going on in his head. Oh, no, I think he could definitely pull back in the energy. In fact, we see that all the time of players who are clearly kind of checked out or otherwise, again, people questioning their effort. Well, did he give, did he give an actual ultimatum? What's the He basically gave a Friday deadline that if they don't negotiate the contract by Friday, then they're not negotiating it until the offseason. That's my understanding. That sounds like a good deal for the Ravens. Wait it out. My point is it gives vulnerability to taking the Ravens spread. I wouldn't be interested in this Ravens spread, but I know we were thinking about Ravens survivor. And I know, like, Zach, you put your matrix together, and that Raven seems like the best pick. So, I'll be honest. If Zach Wilson was the quarterback of the Jets, oh, I think yeah, I, I would say, screw it, I would do it. Yeah. The issue I'm having is the Lamar Jackson distraction is a little concerning a tiny bit, but there's not an optimal Ravens offense even coming into this game, and the defense is going to be much better than it was last year just because people aren't injured. A lot of those guys were injured for an extended period of time, and so just getting back in the fold. My issue is Flacco is a steadying force, right? And it's against the Ravens. He obviously played there for 10 years. So the volatility of the likelihood of, let's say, a blowout to me is almost gone. Whereas with Zach Wilson, it's a very good possibility. So you're probably looking at a contained game, doesn't get too far out of hand. Jets have had all season to get their defense situated for Lamar Jackson, running the ball and throwing to Mark Andrews. So I just don't see the upside of a Ravens game that you're typically used to. I don't think Joe Flacco is an NFL starting 
quarterback. The gap between Joe Flacco and any other starting quarterback in week one, I think, oh. is huge. Well, I disagree. He's better than Geno Smith. I don't think that's true. Oh, I think that's true. And, and, and real quick, what we're talking about is not if someone's better, like fundamentally big picture starter franchise with. What we're in talking about scenario. In a one game scenario. I just don't see how Joe Flacco is going to consistently move the ball against the Ravens. No, I agree with it's that. It's awful. I can get behind the tails take. I don't see why you'd reconsider them for Survivor based on the fact that Joe Flacco yeah. started. It's just going to be more close for comfort, I feel like, is more likely than it would have been with Zach Wilson. So it just makes me nervous. I, I take the opposite approach, which is I think Zach Wilson is still a little bit of an unknown quantity. You're not going to get good play from Joe Flacco. He's going to have a magic at 38 yeah. years old. It's just a the switch is going to flip and he's going to put up 28 points against the Ravens. We've seen guys like Colt McCoy. Like, Kyle, the, the Kyle Allen effect. You remember that? When he came in for the Panthers. Walker last year destroyed the Cardinals by like 20. Yeah. Those guys DJ, have and, and DJ talent, Walker though. is definitely not a starting quarterback in that. If just we're taking the probabilities here of any game and we're trying to determine where we already liked the Ravens to start with and we're going to add in the factor of Joe Flacco, I don't see why that should get us off. But I also, in addition, the wrinkle of the Lamar Jackson stuff. If he's so bad, too, why don't they just play Mike White? I mean, it's week one. Are they giving up on the season? Yeah, I'll just lose these next four games. I don't understand that at all. It seems either... The Jets coach staffs are just morons, which they definitely could be. <laughs> but they obviously have confidence in Flacco over Mike White. All right, Saints, Falcons plus five and a half, Marcus Mariota, James Winston. I think this is Saints or bust. I don't really see... Now, obviously, we're, if we're talking about point spread, that's... Very low okay. total, too, 42. Which seems a little weird. I, the head coach, like, I, I think... I don't know if he's actually a good coach yet so I don't think he actually is based on what I've been reading and I think the Saints they're still going to have a stellar defense they brought on what Tyron Matthew their their back end's going to be good they still have a strong front with Davenport so I don't see Atlanta scoring but the upside of the Saints potentially scoring seems pretty like probable if especially with Landry and then the new rookie receiver with Kamara out of the backfield so I don't know it would be very hard for me to take Atlanta's points I would rather flirt with a total than flirt with Atlanta so it's either Saints or off for me I think I'm gonna be off this game I want to take a wait and see approach I don't know if Arthur Smith's a good head coach I am a believer in his ability to design plays and scheme his guys open which is with the talent that Atlanta had I think Mariota can have a an interesting wrinkle to the Atlanta offense that I'm really waiting to see. Whether it's running the ball, Arthur Smith went out of his way to, and this is a point we brought up on the offseason preview, went out of his way to specifically get Marcus Mariota, which seemingly doesn't make sense when there are better starters available, whether it be Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo. And he's not going with Desmond Ritter, which I think signals that he sees something in Mariota from his time in Tennessee. And I want to give it a few weeks to let that thesis play out. Interesting. Yeah, Mariota is capable in spots. But I just don't, I don't see Atlanta putting last year what they put up 27 points at home versus the Saints. I think their ceiling's probably like 21 points. So the question to me just becomes, do you think the Saints get to 28-30 or are they sticking around 21-24? I don't think they play fast enough to get the number of drives required yeah. uh, to even get to 30. Yeah. I don't think either team's complying with any pace. It'll be a slow game. Yeah, there's a lot of question marks here. And also, the Falcons have gotten a little, little late steam after playing well in the preseason. It hasn't really shown itself in the line, per se, but I know broader sentiment is certainly higher than it was 
pre-preseason and something that we talked about prior to that kind of starting to materialize that the Falcons win total is four and a half. So it's like pricing them like they're going to be one of the worst teams, like they're the Houston Texans. Really want to see how the Mariota-Patterson combo could be utilized. If you get creative, that can be disruptive. Yeah. Also, Kyle Pitts had like the greatest production from a rookie mm -hmm. tight end in history. Rookie tight ends historically have struggled. I think he could be in for a massive leap. But in this I game, I love they... Kyle Pitts. That's well, I like that. You're Florida bias. No, but I'm trying to take him in every single fantasy. In fact, I'm starting a fantasy draft here in the next like 30 minutes for my work league. But I'm trying to get as much Kyle Pitts exposure as possible in traditional fantasy leagues because I think he's a free wide receiver. Mariota loves tight ends. It's perfect. I think Pitts is going to explode this year. Oh, yeah. And I think this offense is going to be capable of scoring some points. They just don't have a lot of depth. And Mariota is not a great passer anyway. It's really going to be through the lens of like Pitts. Mariota and any kind of like running manufacturing they can get. I wouldn't underestimate Drake London and like wide receiver, rookie wide receivers, especially in recent years, have produced. Yeah. Yeah. You mean, so he could be like the Corey Davis for Mariota. Yeah. yeah. I can see that. Patriots, Dolphins. So this has gone all the way up to three and a half. I think it opened like one, two early on in the offseason. It's just been drifting up and up. Sentiment continues to decrease on the Patriots over the course of training camp, over the course of the preseason. Mac Jones didn't look great in preseason. And one of the things we talked about on our preseason previews was so many teams in the AFC got better and the Patriots were certainly not one of them. Basically didn't upgrade anywhere. I know Judah and I are fading the aura of Bill Belichick that kind of everyone wants to lean into and just have Bill Belichick. So give him the benefit of the doubt. But at three and a half, yeah. we're seeing a lot of moves, line moves here, the last 24 hours, 36 hours, as limits start to increase. And I don't want to chase any of these either. Like, oh, now they've moved too much and try to buy the other side after it's very likely sharper money is what's moving these lines. And I don't want to just come in and take the other side of the trade just to do it. But this seems a little bit too much. I think I liked the Patriots at two and a half. And three and a half is a huge difference. I think everyone's right to be down on the Patriots. Not a lot of good decisions from like a managing team perspective. Like Matt Patricia is what playing calls now, which again, yeah, it's overblown that he's terrible as a head coach. Like he is terrible as a head coach, but they don't typically beat themselves. My only caveat with this game is I think Miami's overblown. I think Miami's got a lot of hype and I think they should be neutral. Miami's proven nothing to me. This bullish thesis on Miami is like, to me, way overblown at this point. So for that reason alone, I would be only interested in New England in this spot. Can either of you give a positive view on why you should bet the Patriots? Why, what's the signal behind the Patriots? Yeah, like I just said, I think it's a historical Without saying one. Bill Belichick. Without saying, without, yeah, without saying Bill Belichick. Exactly. But that's literally the Patriots are Bill Belichick. Belichick is historically known for taking away teams' best option. What, are, what is Miami's, what are they trying to do this year? They're obviously trying to like stretch the field and create space for Tua to throw into all that jazz. So if the Patriots strategize to just take away that one thing, now plan B has to be enacted. What is Miami's plan B? Patriots just want to stay in position. That's their whole MO. If Miami blows the Patriots out, I think it confirms basically what you guys are saying about the Patriots. The personnel on the field has almost throughout their history never been a reason to bet the Patriots. 
it's always like a bunch of weird names or people that are undrafted. He just always puts his teams in a position not to beat themselves. And it's hard to quantify it because so many coaches in the NFL historically are fucking terrible. And so they always let their teams lose when they shouldn't because they don't know how to put them in a successful position. Belichick is the opposite. And the sell-off on Mac Jones has gotten maybe oversold here now. Like, was he like a bottom five quarterback now? No. The offensive line's still decent. They have two running backs that are capable. They're gonna keep it close to the vest. They're not gonna get too cute. I think they're actually gonna try and actually start using the Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. Yeah. Which well, they should, they're like, paying. To me, it's like definitely gonna be a close game. I would be shocked if the Patriots got blown out. Because then it means that they could not stop what they knew Miami was gonna do. And that's a re big red flag. The reason I asked my question is this might be the time to jump off New England if like they get absolutely obliterated in the yeah. coaching in, in so far as we can quantify that. I don't even know how Mike McDaniel's preparing. I don't know if Phil Belichick knows what Mike McDaniel's preparing. I'm just gonna assume that because again, I it's it just he's just always ahead of the curve. My central thesis is that he's ahead of the curve until he's not, and the NFL changes and whether or not he adapts. Look, I'm not betting it, but I'm saying it's something that I want to be very early on. I agree. I like I said, I think being early on is seeing how this game unfolds. But I would still be comfortable taking Patriots in the spot. There's just so much uncertainty. It's just hard to price this. The thing is, now it's getting to the point at three and a half. That's what I'm saying. Again, I think it's all narrative driven. Like the narrative behind, yes, on paper, Patriots are worse. We all know that. On Miami's better on paper, but it, that's what's driving the conversation because week one, nobody knows. We're just looking for confirmations. If you give Belichick a lot of time to prepare for something, it doesn't matter what it is, he's gonna find an edge. And he typically does. It's just, he knows what Tua likes to do and doesn't do. I think this game is more valuable and the information will learn than what we'll bet. Although I think Dolphins is like, hands off yeah i'm not taking the dolphins yeah. if you want to take the angle of what not to bet <laughs> yeah and, th and this is actually what we did want to do with that one strategy yeah. you can't bet the dolphins after oh, a huge material no. move past the field goal there's so many things saying you shouldn't bet this but yeah it doesn't mean that you bet the patriots but you cannot bet you cannot bet the Dolphins. Okay, there's another good one. Browns, Panthers. Browns are plus one and a half on the road. Jacoby Brissett versus Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield saying revenge is not on the top of his mind. As, as emotional a dude as he is, I'm sure it's like oh, the jerking oh, off to it. 100%. 100% revenge. Whether it works for him or against him, I guess we can I think debate. it definitely works against him. He's yeah, too maybe. emotional. I don't think he's in control of his emotions. Yeah. And this is the type of game I feel like can get the better of him. Also, we don't like Matt Rule. Huge weakness. There's a lot of negative sentiment on Jacoby Brissett. I don't hear anybody saying anything positive about Jacoby Brissett. Elite offensive line, the Browns. Great cornerbacks. The defense is definitely their strong suit. Questions at wide receiver. More questions at coaching, play calling, and this that and the other after two years of subpar performance. Play calling can't be good in in Carolina. Ben McAdoo with Matt Rule's influence. Unless two wrongs make a right. I don't know. I don't like either side in this game. Again, I think you make good points about questions about the coaching, questions about the play calling, but 
ultimately what's keeping me from not betting the Browns here is that I, I do think that there's a big talent disparity at quarterback. And I think the matchup's going to come down to one, can Ike Kuno stop Miles Garrett if he's a train wreck? The game's over. And I want to see if DJ Moore, Moore, Robbie Anderson, and LaVisca Chanel can win their matchups. Where Cleveland's strongest with Greg Newsome, Denzel Warden, Greedy Williams. I can't imagine a rookie is going to do very well versus Miles Garrett. Yeah, for sure. We have no idea what Baker Mayfield's going to be in this offense with new play caller, head coach. Yeah. I don't see why I should be projecting onto week one. I might as well take the information and apply it for future weeks. I agree with all that. It's probably going to be an ugly game. I, I really don't see how either team's going to do a lot of scoring here. And under actually probably looks like a really nice play. Because I think also, like, to your point, do the Panthers even know what they're getting out of Baker? Because it was, it was obviously like an afterthought desperation type move after the whole Deshaun Watson thing. So he was never their first choice. It's like an awkward, ah, I was going for the hot girl at the bar, but she said fuck off. So I stood there for a while and it's like, homely girl walked by but you know if you put, put a little makeup on her she'd be okay and like she like went home with me like that's what it feels like so do they even know what the fuck they're doing with baker you know what i'm saying like, well, like where is... can't possibly know the full playbook yeah that like, too. It'd be like in great rhythm or have great chemistry with these receivers or anything where, like so obviously it's an upgrade over sam darnold i think this actually could prove to actually have been like a decent spot for the panthers like a trade wise in a few weeks. I like your under. Yeah, the under. I think the under is the best play here. The Browns decisively have the offensive line edge, a play calling edge, head coaching edge, defensive edge. It's just the quarterback, which is obviously the most important position, but there's certainly enough sufficient scenarios for where Baker Mayfield also just does not play well. I also wonder how much they lean on McCaffrey, which is early last yeah, season. Yeah, early, yeah. They were terrific when they were leaning on him early and often and playing a grind-out style of game. All right, Steelers on the road at Cincy, AFC champions, minus six. It's come down, I think half point. I think I saw six oh, really? and a half. Oh, really? Mitch Trubisky. Mike Tomlin, obviously they won week one last year versus the Bills, but didn't look good doing it. I want to play a little bit of devil's advocate. I think the Steelers are live here to even get the upset. Everyone in Pittsburgh, including the players, like they feel disrespected. <laughs> the fact that the Bengals went to the Super Bowl. So I just think there's going to be an extra edge, at least defensively, which then mitigates, obviously, potentially the Bengals offense, at least to a degree. So it should be a much tighter game. And Trubisky's, a, I think he's learned how to be a game manager at this point. And obviously their offensive line's terrible. But Steelers hanging in to cover six points, I don't think that's that unreasonable to expect. And again, I think the assumption was Bengals are going to take a step back. I think it's moved towards, ah, but yeah, the offensive line's actually good. And actually, we really like the Bengals, like, because they're still like an underdog upstart. But in this first game, all the pressure's on the Bengals. There's no pressure on the Steelers. Obviously, we know much more about the Bengals than in week one last year. But so they were plus three at home versus Minnesota last year in week one and one and now they're almost minus a touchdown versus a division foe who's obviously at least very well coached so i know judy you definitely disagree on probably a lot of zach's takes around the defense yeah i definitely uh, disagree on the defensive front um honestly i see this game going or 80 percent of the variance of this game going two ways 
which is one, the Bengals jumping out to an early lead, just relying on their passing game and absolutely dominating the Steelers because I think there is a massive talent disparity. But I also can see them jumping out to an early lead, Zach Taylor doing his thing, getting ultra conservative, uh, and kind of letting the Steelers creep back in. So I don't really love the six and a half. I think so, I like the over. Does it? Does it anyone hate the over? No, I like the over a lot. I think that, this is low. I would put it towards it being more of like a, a beat out type game where they I, start I don't think the Bengals played any of those games last year. I disagree. But you also got to remember, they, they caught everyone by surprise last year with how they were able to open everything up with Jamar Chase. Now they've had all offseason for everyone to realize what they want to do. So I and I think even Joe Burrow mentioned it in offseason. He's like, yeah, they're not going to let us basically throw Jamar Chase wide open down the field every play. So like they know they're gonna have to shift their offense to not be as potent. So I want Judah to explain to me like like I'm five. Why are the Bengals overmatching offensively the Steelers defense if the Steelers defense is fully healthy? The Steelers have no one to cover the Bengals receivers. I think the only way this game plays well, out. If you get close, pressure, though, you don't have to cover it. Exactly. If, if DJ Watt overwhelms them. But again, we're talking about an improved offensive line. Yeah, but the, but a new offensive line that may not quite be gelled. And... Certainly true. But ultimately, right, if you look at even like our adjusted numbers, which is something we'll trot out over the course of the season, the Steelers were like 20th best defensively last year. Ultimately, if you're going to play a bunch of man as the Steelers do, you're going to need the personnel to match up with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. And while I agree with that, what I would say about last year's Steelers issue on defense too is similar to what happened to Washington and why they took such a huge step back is they were also like teams that obviously play better passing offenses. The offenses almost always have the advantage. So I'm just caveating that maybe it's in part due to the teams they played might have had more potent offenses. So it could be a level of that. Whereas like Washington, for instance, had exactly the same defense year to year and became like from fifth to like 25th. And it's largely because the offenses they were playing were exponentially better than the previous year. All right, so we're not getting a lot of agreement on any game so far. <laughs> hey, we're pushing back. Niners on the road versus Justin Fields and the Bears getting plus seven. Full touchdown. Huge home underdog week one. Not a lot to like about the Bears. I think there's a lot of variance in this game, to be honest. Bears have one of the worst offensive lines, one of the worst quarterbacks who can do explosive plays. Not a lot well, of great he, personnel pretty much anywhere. I think Brett does have a little bit of anti-Justin Fields bias. Yes. Because, but it might be more justified because there's a lot but of... it's like, because he bro. sucks. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Arguably, sure, he does, because the numbers would say that. But he also is put in, like, terrible situations. Whereas if you look at, like, Zach Wilson's situational play in coaching, they actually started to, like, really try to put him in better situations. He just, he couldn't do it. Whereas, like, Justin Fields, when he was put in better situations towards his strengths, he actually started to deliver, and that's why he had some, like, actually impressive drives and games, because those off chances that he was put in better situations, he actually started to flourish. Something about so. going into the season with Byron Pringle as your starting wide receiver. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't scream helping no. the context. I don't know what this 49ers offense is going to be like with Trey Lance. I have a pretty good sense, I think, that the Bears offense won't be going anywhere, but that's more of a long-term view. And we saw even last year when... 
the Bears play the Niners. This was a tie game deep in deep in the third quarter, and Justin Fields basically took that one over with his legs. So I think there's always the when betting games distinct possibility that Justin Fields can take over, whether that's hitting explosive plays to Darnell Mooney or just rushing for a huge game. But I don't necessarily see it this week. I think this game can get ugly if Lance is not accurate and San Francisco relies on the run, which I think is a distinct possibility. This can be a slugfest. I don't hate the the Niners money line, not in terms of value, but as a teasable line or even them just winning the game out. Yeah, what about Niners as Survivor? To take us back to the divisional preview for a second. This would be the worst time to play the Niners. This is when we have the most unknown about what Trey Lance is. And yeah. either Trey Lance is good or Jimmy Garoppolo is playing later on in the season. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Niners off the board. Eagles, Lions. Everyone loves the Lions. But everyone actually loves the Eagles, too, certainly to win the NFC East. Everyone's a year late. We love the Eagles last year, going in, especially relative to market expectations at the beginning of last year, when many were thinking that the Eagles could be one of the worst teams in the league. And this is actually another thing of how narratives can shift on quarterbacks in just one year. The Lions have gotten way more hype, I think, than they deserve, whereas the Eagles, I feel like, is like mildly justified. I feel like yeah, the Lions is a lot of it based on this Rudy effect. Uh, Lions, they try so hard. And I think the offense is going to be like more consistent this year than last year. They have more weapons. Their offensive line is still solid. Jared Goff, when he has time, is capable. But in this first game, the Lions' defense is still pretty bad. They got wrecked by Philadelphia last year in the almost same spot. If you would back Detroit in this spot, like you must have, you must be Nostradamus because there's no way. Like I, I am way more inclined to take an alt line Philly minus 10 then I would take Detroit plus four in this spot. I just don't see it defensively for Detroit in this game, especially with Hurts' ability to run the ball and throw it over the middle to A.J. Brown now and Goddard. It's going to be a long day Brown. for Detroit. I think I'm with you there, Zach. The Lions have a tendency to keep games closer than they probably should, which is leaving me a little bit off the alt-line, but I don't see how you could back Detroit here. Colts on the road versus Texans, minus seven with Matt Ryan leading the way i'm really selling the colts this year i think eight points is just is too much for the texans Interesting. they've shown an ability to move the ball i honestly what i like most is betting this live mm-hmm. i think if the colts jump out to an early lead the game's over they're going to use jonathan taylor run all over the texans but i think the market will be very late to adjust if the texans are actually playing well and jump out to a lead and i like the live betting the texans in that scenario that's a good point. One of the things that we have omitted thus far throughout our evaluations commentaries is how we would angle into these games live, which is very important. I guess it's also too, just because I think as we're going match by matchup, there's just like a lot of questions. Your decision trees are branching off in so many different directions that it's like the Sunday NFL playbook would be like eight pages. basically yeah yeah i don't see how one can be lower on the colts this year than last year i think matt ryan is a market upgrade and i think frank reich is gonna play to his strengths more like to me colts are a nine eight nine a nine win team with carson wentz last year are they that much different than this year? I think the defense is probably about the same. From a straight-up fashion, I would actually be more inclined that, hey, let me get a Texans up 10 nothing. I think Matt Ryan is the perfect kind of veteran quarterback to lead his team back and get that late victory. The way you framed that issue was it was all Carson Wentz's fault, essentially, why they did what Not they did all, last but... year. And where 
that just give them a better quarterback and they'll be better. Whereas one of the things I talked about on our previews was Wentz got all the blame, but there was certainly enough blame to go around. True. But it all percolated up to him, which it usually does for a quarterback, but also specifically for a guy like Carson Wentz, who's already had a bad reputation and has already been subject to that type of criticism before. So it made even more intuitive sense to blame him. And then also he had high profile, bad performances, which really emphasized and reinforced that narrative, even if it was wrong. And I'm not saying Wentz was great by any means. I don't think bringing in Matt Ryan is the solution. It doesn't make them any better. I think it make they're they still got the same issues. The offensive line's overrated. The defense is overrated. The head coaching is overrated. And Matt Ryan's overrated. The first is I think if you actually push people, I think they'd hear Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz pretty similarly at the end of the day. That's a separate discussion. As you mentioned, the central question around the Colts is the delta between Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan greater than the defensive production they got basically off the backs of turnovers. I believe they were top three in like generating expected points off, off turnovers. That's likely to regress, not to mention that they lost their defensive coordinator and their star defensive player, at least for now, Shaquille Leonard's not playing. So I think there's almost a lot of steam on the Colts. Oh, Shaq being, Leonard's not playing. Yeah, I don't think he's playing. Zach, did you know that's his name now? Wait, his name, he changed his Darius, name. Formerly <laughs> Darius Leonard. Wait, now, I'm, now that's confusing. Why did Darius fucking change his name? He's gangster. Oh, so that does change things about this game now. I didn't know. I think Shaquille Leonard's one of the better defensive players in the league. Wow, we're using his full name now. Not even calling him Shaq Leonard, calling him Shaquille, Shaquille Leonard. Darius Leonard <laughs> is the best player I've ever seen. No. But yeah, if he's out. He's, he had off-season surgery. Seems like a, a pessimistic week one outlook. Regardless. Also, that, did you know Lovey Smith is the coach of the Texans? Yes, I did know that. Okay. <laughs> I did know that one. Do you know who Davis Mills is? Yes, he's the quarterback <laughs> of the Colts. <laughs> I did read a, a book about the offseason. I mean, this kind of makes me a little bit like the Texans. I love the Texans. Yeah, I think you you're love, right. You, wait, you didn't say you love the Texans. All right, I, look, it's coming out right now. Okay. As I'm formulating and realizing it's just rooted in my offseason prior. I, I love, love the Texans. I love that you love the Texans. I love the Texans this week. I will say this. I here. This is another angle that most people don't look at things from because I'm weird sometimes is when I build DFS lineups, I've been building lineups and I can't Are you doing not, that this year? Yeah, I'm, I'm flirting with it. I can't not put Brandon Cooks in my lineups. What does that tell you? Typically for my experience, when you do fantasy, especially like DFS and you're targeting certain players and you can't like you keep going back to them, there's something deeper to it, which then is actually reflective in what you think the game or game script's gonna be. David Mills actually played like pretty decently at times last year. He had a very nice connection with Brandon Cooks. With Darius Leonard out, with that secondary being pretty bad, is there a pathway like you said? Texans play manageable football. They don't let Jonathan Taylor beat them out the gate. Matt Ryan is trying to get situated. Colts have struggled early in the season with these new quarterbacks every season, regardless of who it was. It's a perfect opportunity for Texans to play sound ball and more consistency for the Texans going into this year than there was going into last year. How bad is the Texans defense is the question. Worst? Pretty bad. Well, but but that, they do have Lovey Smith from just from a like the good thing about Lovey Smith is his defenses typically aren't gonna get destroyed. So that could be to the benefit of the Texans. I don't think that the Colts are the, the team to take advantage of where the Texans are weak. Yeah. Which is a rookie corner or Derek Stingley and it's like Indianapolis is gonna win through throwing to their backs. It's not a weakness in the secondary where you have great receivers 
and they're just gonna they're not playing the Bengals. We're just gonna yeah. walk right over the Texans. Okay, Jags at Washington. Jags moving from four to three and a half to three, now to two and a half. First Carson Wentz now, and the Washington Commanders. Sounds like an AFL team. Just call them the football team. team. Actually, that really grew on me. I still refer to them as the football team. And it looks like it's about to move to two. Yeah, I don't. This might be one by kickoff. We saw the same type of move on the Jags last year. The Jags were like minus three and a half on the road versus Houston last year. And they're getting the same type of like steamed move. Now, maybe the line was just wrong. Maybe it's still wrong. Maybe the Jags are just decisively better than the Commanders. And Washington's also down Brian Robinson, who they really liked, rookie running back. Got shot. <laughs> That's right. All right, you are you like love the Jags here or something? No. Nope. I'll let my projection be saved for futures. I'll see the production on the field before I bet it in the game. Yes, which allows for the longer-term horizon. I'm playing the long-term Jaguars here. I don't see any reason why I should bet. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in on Washington here. I think this is, I think Jags is so overblown. And again, last year, like you said, Brett, they went into Houston and they gave up 37 points to Tyrod Taylor and a bunch of backup running backs. The talent level of the Jags, besides Trevor Lawrence, like, just across the board, still not that great. Carson Wentz at least gives them more stability, more explosive opportunities. It, I don't know, like to me, Washington is an proven tier above the Jags from an on-field player evaluation standpoint. And there's a new coaching staff. Trevor Lawrence has to start from scratch, which again, I think obviously it's gonna be better than it was last year, but it doesn't mean it's gonna work out of the gate or be functional. They overpaid for receivers like, that aren't as good as they think they are. There's still some mismanagement with this franchise. And the like, other thing is, so like Patriots Dolphins, for example, and we're talking about like big move, is it justified? But it's even after a huge move, we're still like hands off. But at least this is like the currents are moving in the same direction. Like people don't like the Patriots and people are liking the Dolphins. Here, this is like one-sided. This is like all Jags. Narrative. I, I don't think there's like a lot of well, there's a lot of anti-steam on Washington right now. There's a there's a preseason sale out of Washington. I don't know. I feel I like it's lukewarm. I haven't heard anything like that. But again, yeah, no, like, I've I, heard, the the narrative on Carson Wentz has been the exact same as it always hasn't gotten better or hasn't gotten worse. There are rumors flying about Chase Young, which are not true. There's a bunch of stuff about Carson Wentz. Like I don't. This is meaningless to me. But if you're trying to say what rumors. Yeah, there's rumors that Chase Young heard <laughs> himself playing in a, uh, a summer camp. I'm willing to fade that type of stuff because we're talking about uh, Patriots Dolphins. We're talking about, like, oh, their personnel sucks. And I don't think yeah. Bill Belichick's and, mystique means jack shit anymore. Yeah. Like, that's meaningful. I'm not saying it's meaningful in any such yeah. way. But there is definitely a market move selling, selling Washington. It's not just one-sided. Right, right. But is it for substantive reasons that's the type of super speculative type stuff driving some of the negative price action on washington that's helping this line move i'm definitely willing to fade that i think it's a combination of optimism around the jaguars yeah yeah that's I, what i'm I, saying is it's a combination of justified optimism around the jags but then some like bullshitty stuff around washington
like Zach, what you like to do is like when you're trying to like look at the whole slate and you're looking at line moves and you're comparing lines, and you're saying, well, the line is like this in this game and the line is like this in this game. It's moved for this reason here. It's moved for this reason here. The moves in Miami and the Patriots make like general fundamental sense. Yeah. This is all sentiment based. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, and again, it, it can be obviously a thing where the line is just was wrong and people are realizing it. Are we betting Washington? I'm happy to fade the Jags at this point. Do not. I'm not betting Washington. I'm all in. Wins, baby. MVP. No, I'm kidding. There's too much steam on the Jags. It's going to be my first bet. Though, actually, the only reason I might wait is because I think this line could probably go down more because there's no stopping this movement right now. I just don't see the end of this game. Everyone's patting themselves on the... Knew the Jags were good. <laughs> Washington sucks. It makes me think they think Washington is a four-win team. Like how the perception is. Like Jags are an eight-win team. Washington's a four-win team. And I just don't... I think it actually is probably more likely the opposite. I like Washington. But I'm going to wait till it gets to pick them. Chiefs cards... This is another line moving a lot the last 24 hours. Hmm. It was Chiefs three, three, I think it was like three and a half for most of the offseason. Bumped up to four and a half. And now it's at six. Ooh. But again, this is what I was talking about earlier, where I don't want to chase and say, man, I can't take the Chiefs anymore. Gotta take the cards. Doesn't mean the cards aren't potentially the right side. But I don't want to chase it for that reason. Yeah, it might be due to some of the cards lingering injuries and stuff. That's right. So that might be justified. If Zach Gertz doesn't play potentially or banged up, that could be an issue. Because part of part of my hesitancy with Arizona to start this season, obviously, is the whole who are the receivers? Are you a believer in Marquise Brown? I'm not. Like, yeah, he might have one good catch if he catches it. How can anyone back? Arizona when they're without JJ Watt, without Marcus Golden, without Hamilton, their second quarterback, against Mahomes and Reed, who are the greatest week one combo in NFL history by a large margin. I don't see how Arizona can is gonna stop Casey at all. Yeah, that's a good point. I've already hammered the Mahomes over two and a half touchdown prop at plus one thirty five. Props sound like an interesting play here. I think that's the best way to, to capitalize on the Chiefs when they're already priced in for twenty eight points, but how is Arizona gonna stop them? They've got no talent on defense right now. I can see Arizona scoring a bunch of points on Kansas City and this being a shootout. But I've got maybe my highest conviction play is that the Kansas City offense is gonna move the ball at will against the Cardinals. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. I'm again Here's bullish on the upper. Cardinals long-term, this is not the spot. So I think Kansas City will show off the new toys. Yeah. So is the Chiefs still betterable at six? It's a lot. They had like that 20-game stretch of not winning by more than one score, mm -hmm. something like that from mm -hmm. 2020 mm -hmm. to 2021. The thing is, if Arizona is so hamstrung, because we're talking about like Arizona starts off the season hot. Kingsbury starts off the season hot. That's so narrative. And it's happened the last two years, but I've heard that now five times at the five different podcasts. Everyone. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like that is the narrative, and but it's like in all those seasons they've been healthy. So JJ Watt's been there, Hopkins has been there, Murray's been at his oh, full health, and they also had Connor and Edmonds. I know Drew doesn't care about that, but I think the loss of Edmonds is it eats into the efficacy of Connor. Connor's 
pretty washed up in my opinion. Okay, Raiders, Chargers. It's at three right now. Probably going to be three and a half in the contests. Yeah. Obviously very bearish on the Raiders long term, but doesn't always necessarily need to come to fruition here in game one. Looks like JC Jackson's going to be out. That's a bummer. How bullish are you all on the Chargers? Because I'm like probably way too bullish. Can you see Justin Herbert clearly, Judah? You have rosy colored like glasses wow. on. No, I'm interested in making money. And the thing that's going to make me the most money. So am I. Is, yeah, but there's still fandom in there. I will admit, Brett does have bias when it comes to anything Bears and anything related to the Gators. That's right. Oh, yeah. I have, I have like a crazy negative ATS record betting the Gators. So no. where are we Hard on here? Chargers. Yeah, I Assuming love it's three and a half. Assuming it's three and a half. I already bet the Chargers yeah. at six and a half. Plus one. <laughs> what? Oh, like an alt line. Oh. Yeah, alt line. I was yeah. like bragging about like extreme <laughs> negative CLV. <laughs> plus, plus I took it when I opened at minus six. <laughs> I still love that. I take it today. <laughs> My, minus 150. Fuck it. It's just, again, the narrative is the Chargers obviously beat themselves. Like, they're always fucking themselves. And they, it's true to a degree, but, like, at some point, like, that shtick has to wear off. And if there's a time that they're going to break out of it, it's going to be this year. And so you want to get ahead of that curve before it, it happens. I think this is a Chargers game to, to really to dominate. Honestly, on both sides of the ball. I have only three inputs when I'm making a bet. Right, generally you've got like fundamental value. Like how good are these teams? You have almost the matchup, which is there a particular angle in this matchup that I can exploit? And third is just like general market kind of sentiments and how it's being priced in. I think on all three fronts, the Chargers have an edge here. I think the market is pricing in the Raiders as this great team. I think it's exactly what we talked about in our stream last week. Yeah. I'm obviously going to fade that. I agree. If you remember last year versus Washington, a better defense, I think, at the time last year. You know, they put 470 yards on Washington on the road. They just literally just shot themselves in the foot. So again, the, the, to me, the bet is really fundamentally is going to be the will they shoot themselves in the foot bet. I really don't see any angle for Vegas, and it's very rare for me to come out with such conviction and saying, I think this game can only really go one way. I love it. Absolutely love the Chargers. I'll take minus four plus one two. First bet. What are you What are you betting? Chargers minus four, plus one oh two. I like it. I was also flirting with Chargers as a defense in my DFS. If that gives you a hint, the upside potential I see in this game. Packers, Vikings, come down to one and a half. Looks like it's going to go down to one. It makes me like. That. I think we know what the Packers are. I think they're, on a given week, Rodgers can make anyone look good. I think structurally, they're probably going to be more running back focus, and obviously their defense is, is pretty solid overall. With the Vikings, though, I think it's great that the market is completely overlooking them. Like, who is the competition in this division? It's the Vikings. The Vikings had, what, like eight one-score games last year, so even with Mike Zimmer. I think they have a real opportunity to open up the offense with Kirk Cousins and actually get in front of the sticks and not rely on him on just third down. And so I think Vikings have a potential to be like a legit top three, top five offense. Defensively, I think it starts with pressure. Daniel Hunter should be back. They're going to have more options up there. So I don't know. I, I think the Vikings are, I was overly bullish on them. I think the last year or two prematurely whereas i think this is the time when it has its best chance of come all coming together to actually potentially even dethrone the packers so i i, I there's no way i would take the packers in this spot on the road no matter if it's a low scoring game or high scoring game these teams like 
almost always match each other. So I don't know. To me, it, it's I could only lean Vikings in this spot because I think the market's going to just be taking Packers because it's still Aaron Rodgers and Vikings don't have any sexiness. I think Kirk Cousins um, is who Kirk Cousins is, though, because he was Kirk Cousins in Washington, too. And, yeah, but and they have different OCs and he is who he is. He's better than people think. Oh, no, he's, I think he's good, but it, again, he still makes. He's yeah, just a choker. very... But those are in very specific, high-pressure situations. Consistent like, on a consistent basis. But also, you got to understand, a lot of those situations, he's behind the sticks. He's in bad positions because of bad coaching. If you don't set your quarterback up for, what, shorter third downs and stuff, like, you're going to have issues. You can't be throwing eight yards on third down every time. You're going to be screwed. I'm not, I'm not touching this. I like that there's no opinion. Makes me feel like I have an edge with the Vikings in this spot. But it's hard because it's probably going to be a very close game, and it's probably going to come down to the last drive. All right, Giants-Titans, Giants plus five and a half. Man, it's very hard to find anything to like about either one of these teams. <laughs> Which means maybe there's value on the Giants at five and a half. In my opinion, the Giants can't be any worse on offense this year than they were last year. Also, they had Glennon, who was playing like some of the most atrocious quarterbacking that Not I've seen in years. They had Jason Garrett and Joe Judge. Yeah, I, and Daniel Jones, if you were going to comp him to any quarterback in the NFL, wouldn't it be like from a, a not a tier standpoint, but like from a lower Tannehill. tier? Like a Tannehill or like a Josh Allen, like type of quarterback. Those are extremely different quarterbacks. To a degree. I just mean someone who can fundamentally utilize his legs when he knows how to utilize them and throw the ball deep downfield. I feel like Tannehill is... Daniel Jones' ceiling. Daniel Jones, at no point in his career, has had any surrounding environment to support him. That the receivers were healthy for one game last year against the Saints. They moved the ball really well. Coaching staff was a disaster. They wouldn't let Daniel Jones throw deep, even though that's the area where he excels. They're finally healthy at receiver. They've got the coaching staff. The offensive line's improved. Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal, I think, will be a formidable tackle duo, and that's what you need to stop. The outside pressure, which the Titans have none of, by the way, after losing Harold Landry. This is more a long-term thesis, but I think happens to play out extremely well. We haven't actually seen Daniel Jones in context and in this surrounding where he could be Ryan Tannehill, and the inverse is also true for Ryan Tannehill, which is the environment's completely falling apart now. Where he went from having Arthur Smith, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, all these guys are either Derrick Henry's past his 15 rush, 1500 rush threshold, where running backs have historically declined, basically without exception. A.J. Brown's gone. He was the entirety of their offense. This is something we brought up in the offseason preview. I think Ryan Tannehill is going to look like Daniel Jones. And I kind of want to one time where that. the environment for Jones is at its peak, which is when actually everyone's healthy. I think narrative-wise, like, it, again... Nobody wants to back the Giants. That's exactly when you should back the Giants, right? Because it's always like, hard to back the Giants for years. Because they've been they've been like one of the worst teams at covering too. But the, but again, you have to throw all that out because the question is, do they have talent? Yes. To what degree? We've seen, like you said, we've seen Danny Dimes when he has weapons, put some things together, pull, put the team on his back, get mm -hmm. get points with his legs, even. So there's enough there for the Giants to be competitive in this game. So the question becomes, can the Titans take advantage? So getting anything over to me, three and a half. Also, the matchup sets up perfectly for the Giants, which mm -hmm. is the Giants' only real strong suit on defense is the interior defensive line, where Tennessee's at their worst. 
their interior offensive line, both guards are dreadful. Bottom seven in some rankings that I was working and, on. And Brable uh, hasn't changed his. The Titans still run at the, like the highest clip. Like absolutely. so, again, like that. That only works when you're up ahead. But how are they going to get up ahead without any weapons? Yeah, that's the other thing, which is that the Giants are very weak in coverage. But who's winning? Yeah, I, have I think like, Dory Jackson and Robert Woods is probably going to be a one-on-one -one matchup. I give the nod to Dory Jackson there. Mm -hmm. And so you're relying on, nah, I can't even pronounce his name, Nikhil, Nikhil Westbrook to win. That's what you're putting like your money on. Yeah. Tannehill's going to be under siege. Now, Big mm -hmm. Martindale's the coordinator for the Giants. He's going to be blitzing him. Who's getting open? And if you remember last year, too, Titans Week 1 got blown out by Arizona. So they have a penchant for... Yeah. What happens in that game? Chandler Jones had six sacks. Yeah. Kayvon Thibodeau is playing his first game against the third round rookie tackle mm. when they're already going to get massacred on the interior. I hate betting the Giants, which is one of the reasons why I guess it gives me like a little bit of confidence. Yeah. So I imagine everyone else hates betting the Giants. I also hate betting the Giants because then it makes me watch the Giants. I don't like watching the Giants. Now that we've talked it out, this actually feels like of all the like bigger underdogs over three, I think this is one of the better ones. I don't like taking the points here. I would much rather bet the money Take them straight up. Yeah, or yeah. you just bet the on the ult. Yeah, actually, that's, ultimately, that's the like ideal model that I like to think through and work from is the game script model, which is, hey, where's the value of the game script is more 20% going to go this way, 30% that way, 40% this way. What, um, $100 on the Giants money line, too? Yeah. I, I bet them at minus five and a half. How where did you get that's a huge like 10 points, 11 points? Yeah, alt. I, yeah, that's I'm at going Caesars. Caesars. Oh. I bet that yeah. at I think DraftKings, huh? And I, I, I do have some, one of those. I do have some giants in my DFS too, if that gives you another yeah, little. Yeah, that's I, that was also by the way one of my first inclinations to why I like the giants when I was attracted to the Jones Galladay Barkley stack. Yeah, All right, that's... Bucks, Cowboys, you were you love the Bucks last year, Zach. Love the box. Love the box. Like minus six, minus eight, minus ten, and then they were like down by ten right away. <laughs> well, the Cowboys had a better offense than I expected. Bucks last year though, so the Bucks was in Tampa and they were like minus yeah minus eight. Six. I think it was eight. It was minus I was, eight. I think it was really eight. This year, it's tricky because both these teams have like major injury issues coming into the week one. So it's very weird. It's literally like the opposite of what last year was. I think you could have a defensive game that is very sloppy and not impressive on for either team. Well, so total's 51, so definitely not saying that. Yeah, but again, like who's scoring? I don't know. Like I think the Bucks defense is going to be slightly better than it was even last year as the season progresses at least. Just have younger players and more energy. Tough read. I don't have any conviction in this game. There's variables with the offensive line for the Bucks that, that makes me nervous. And, and Cowboys defense can exploit those types of opportunities. I think it's a pressure. I think this is a can't back either side type game where Tampa Bay, what's Tom Brady like without Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, probably Chris Godwin. I think we know what he is with the, without those. It's not like very potent. I think the same thing with Dallas. We've never seen Dak Prescott without a really good offensive line. We've never seen Dak Prescott throwing to rookie wide receivers. Just having CD Lamb and then Jalen Pulp, massive question marks. I think that's under actually might be like, because again, like everyone is assuming they're going to score a bunch of points because of last year or something. I think both these defenses probably are better than their offensive counterpart parts in this game. Okay, so no, no bet. Nope. Broncos, Seahawks, close. Broncos minus six and a half. Broncos. 
We haven't solidified any survivor pick yet. Yeah. We leaned Ravens to begin with. Yeah, it's gonna be hard to get off Ravens. If you're asking me which teams I think are most likely to win, I'd probably say Chiefs number one, Ravens number two, Broncos number three. I don't know how Seattle wins the game. Like, I see, don't, obviously there's always situations, but like, they, like low probability scenario where Seattle somehow screws out a game. This is such a deep parallel game that he wins, though. Oh, it's a 17-14 special. I don't know if Seattle's defense is that good. No, it's not. But Seattle, but Denver doesn't have the ball in this scenario. No, you want to have the, you need to have the devil's yeah. advocate other side That's, of scenario. Yeah. How does this material? Maybe Russell Wilson does have to get acclimated to his wet new weapons and scenario and offense, and it's possible. Yeah. And if Geno Smith makes one big play, could be good enough to keep him in the game. All so. right. So where are we? We at one bet the Giants. <laughs> we get the Chargers also. Oh, Chargers! Yeah, I would do Chargers. I, I haven't. Got, I haven't got Chargers for already. Oh, I did. Yeah, I did Chargers for you. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so we got Chargers and Giants. And I'm thinking about Circa as well. How, how do we feel about the Texans? Oh, yeah. You talked me into the Texans enough. Again, I, you guys also love Washington. Yeah, I like Washington. Say, I love Washington. But if I, it's when under you three, watch the tape, when you watch roll the back tape, the you were getting animated about Washington. I, because I want to be honest with myself. Oh, Eagles. Is, I like Eagles. Is there's just so much Jags love that I just want to, and I like the Jags from the long season perspective, but this is like now getting like arrogant. It's, it's over. And I just want to kind of rub their faces in it. I don't want to do that. I just think it's I over, do. It, it just like very simple than anything. They're just overbought. Like the narrative is overbought. We don't even know what we're going to get from the Jags yet. Like It's easy to speculate on the season, but like week one, we don't know what the fuck we're going to get from them. I definitely like the setup. No. If you're getting under three, I like Washington. Yeah, I was going to bet it. And in fact, I'm just waiting because I feel like the Jags is a runaway train. Yeah. Jags are going to close minus one. I like this for Circa. I'm not betting it down. Because that's the other thing is too, I guess, also for Circa is we can't just pick our five like favorite picks. That's not how you win this. Because if you pick your five favorite picks all the time, you're going to go 58%. Maybe like when Zach and I went 62 and a half percent, we came in 101st place. Made how much money? Zero. So close to it so far. But the good thing about that year, though, I agree, but I kind of disagree. I think you had a good time. <laughs> I had a great time. It's all just like poker tournaments. It's all about position. It's just you, you need to be in the thick of it, be in the running until you get those last four or five weeks. I think you always have to bake in. Again, we've played in the contest three years now, and it's you always have to be like a little kind of clever about it every yeah. week even if you want to be in the quarterly if you want to be competitive for the quarterly you know you got to go 18 and 2. when for what 14 and 3 the first week two years what three years ago we started yeah. off fucking hot and then we fucking died but yeah uh, texans is going to be off market sound seems like washington's off market giants is off market I, I don't mind it it would be like a fifth option for me I definitely am off the Rams though. And I feel like the trick is like week one's not a week that you bet lines. I really think week ones are like fundamental drivers. So if you really like something fundamentally, like it's better to roll the dice in that direction. How would you narrow down your five right now, Judah? I'd go, not in order of conviction. I'd go Bills, Texans, Eagles, Washington, Giants. 
I like the Chargers too, though. So this is essentially like looking at historical betting trends by week. You can go here and pick whatever week. I always feel like everyone has all these assumptions about week one specifically and week two. If you look at week one, it's just a lot of noise. There's a lot of the things that people think happen, like it just doesn't really happen. Okay, Zach, what, what's your five right now, would you say? Yeah, I think Giants, Eagles. I'm probably going to go Patriots. I still just, I'm just not buying the hype. Chargers, Washington is probably my set. I'll probably do one of Patriots or Steelers. I just got to figure out which one I like because they're both a little risk on, but I like getting the numbers. I think this was a good kind of opening to go through the slate, all the games. One of the worst things about week one and previewing week one and talking about week one it's a lot of that same preseason type stuff. Everything's so theoretical. You got like almost nothing to go on. That's why it always makes the preseason previews sometimes frustrating because you're just like pontificating. Yeah. And it'll be fun going into next week. When you actually have something to go on. You have at least a little bit of seeds of truth. I think week one presents the perfect opportunity to be really off market. Which is like you have a particular thesis about a team. Now is exactly the time to like really capitalize to say move a line from five and a half one way to five and a half another way. Yeah. That's honestly that's why I think I've historically done better week ones than like some betters are like oh I struggle week one it's like always been like it's like one of the easiest weeks for me I don't understand and I think it's to your point is yeah you've had a full off season to digest information utilize that and not get to like, okay now it's week one I'm gonna take a totally different perspective on everything I've just been saying for the past three months. When the games are starting, I analyze games particularly right. No, those offseason priors should hold a lot of weight, and you should not be afraid to go off market. Giants money line. I have to say, Giants minus five and a half. Also, a lot of like week one narratives just like to sink in deeper and deeper over the course of the offseason and the preseason. Like, there's usually no volatility to lines, they just move one direction, and they usually overshoot, which creates opportunity. It's good. This conversation is good. You talked me off a few things that I was flirting with. Which I like. Yeah, and then you'll be texting or off this. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what he does too. I knew it. I knew it. Basically, yes. Good stuff, guys. Thanks, guys.